It is good to worship with you this morning, brothers and sisters. Have you ever had one of those days? Everything that could go contrary to your plans, to your desires, and to your dreams, well, uh, they, they do. They do go contrary. Sometimes those days turn into weeks, months, and even years. And we find ourselves in a pattern that we cannot break. Young and old, we feel dry spiritually. We struggle to have hope. Our language lacks optimism and trust. Our disposition is tired and weary. We've all been there. I'll be honest, it's where I found myself moments this week. Maybe for you, it's been like this song, King's Kaleidoscope. This isn't living. I'm so defeated and uninspired. Life's deceiving. This isn't freedom. I never stop, always running tired. I just keep on reaching. This isn't success. I'm just a jumble of work and stress. I'm always reeling. And if I'm honest, I'm beginning to have my doubts. Who do I believe in? Those aren't just cute lyrics to a song. That is the reality of seasons and stretches of our life. We are whole people. Physical, spiritual, emotional, mental. And there are seasons in which our emotional and mental health needs rescue just as we do physically and spiritually. And really, they're all connected, aren't they? We encounter Psalm 42 this morning. Written by the sons of Korah, who led temple worship for Israel. They're, they're the music leaders. And we see that Israel, Israel they, they came together corporately to sing a song that talks very squarely about depression and the fight for hope as a faithful follower of Christ. The main idea these singers would press onto us this morning from this psalm is simply this. Faithful followers fight for hope. And if we are honest, we'll readily admit that it is a fight to fight for hope. It's a fight for hope when you have that kind of day. When you give into that sin again and again. When that relationship seems to be going nowhere and there's no end in sight to relief. When your doubts and reservations about God only seem to be reinforced and not answered. When physically and financially you are at the end of your rope and it hurts. It's easy to fight for hope on a Sunday morning when we look and act as though everything's fine. But what about tomorrow? What about on Monday morning? when we find ourselves weighed down by life. How do we fight for hope then? Well, would you read with me Psalm 42? The psalmist in the song starts this way. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul, so pants my soul for you, O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? 
My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God. Well, first in our psalm, we have the reality in verses 1 through 4. Our music team, the sons of Korah, open up like any good song in the telling of a story. The story of a faithful follower of Christ struggling. Not the fake story that we may hear in songs or even from our own lips. You, you know that song. Oh, I'm great. Everything's fine. Hallelujah. God is good. Well, God is good. But the reality is our song sometimes looks like these verses that we read. Verses 1 and 2. I thirst. For the flowing streams of the living God. Do I see myself as dry, weary, desperate for nourishment? Desperate for the cool refreshment of a water that will satisfy my soul? Brothers and sisters, do you thirst for God as the source of life? Now, whether you answer that question yes or no, you may have gotten the answer wrong. Shocking, uh, I know, let me explain. If you answer yes, I thirst for God, the follow-up is, really? Do you really thirst for God? Does your soul really pant for Him? And that feels a little skeptical and harsh, but when we look at the longings and the thirstings of our hearts, is Jesus at the center of it? Psalm 42 can bring many of us into feelings of guilt and regret because we wish that we thirsted and longed for God more. And we see immediately that we've fallen short of the great two commandments that we've been given. To thirst, to love God with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
But if you answer no, I don't thirst for God, the follow-up is, really? Because I think you do. And as you can tell, I'm a bit of a contrarian, so follow me here. If you say you don't thirst for God, what exactly do you thirst for? Perhaps your honest answers are, I thirst for respect or money or sex. I thirst for individual expression, joy, excitement, contentment, intimacy, and companionship. I thirst for lower gas prices. I thirst for low golf scores and kids. You may thirst for another episode of Wild Kratts and Paw Patrol, video games, and some new kicks for the school year. Grandparents, that means shoes. They want shoes. What exactly is the underlying desire and thirst in all those things? A satisfied soul. Your thirsting for the temporary things of this world is really a thirsting for God. Whether you are considering Christianity or it's a dry season as a faithful follower of Christ, your soul does pant for God, even if you don't realize it. Your soul does pant for Him, even if it's indirectly. Your soul is longing for satisfaction. And you may seek it, that satisfaction. You may seek for it in the things of this world, but your soul, seeking and searching, can only be satisfied by Him. He is what your soul really needs and wants, even if you deny it this morning. Jesus Himself is the fulfillment of our thirsty souls. Many years after the sons of Korah, Jesus would approach a woman at a well, a woman who was in a desperate position, either by choice or by necessity. She sought relationships as the waters to satisfy her soul. And Jesus made this incredible statement to the woman who was thirsty in John 4. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says, if you and I thirst and pant for a true relationship with God in him, the water that he offers will satisfy. So he says, come, come to me. The, the end of verse 2 in our psalm offers an interesting nugget here. You may have a note. When shall I come and appear before God? And you might have a note in your Bible that talks about the face of God. When will I get back to the temple? They're singing. When will I worship with God's people? When will I see His face and satisfy my soul? Maybe you haven't noticed this in the past. The seeking of the presence of God isn't an individual endeavor in our song. It's corporate. It can even allude to this. God, I'm actually, they're singing, God, I'm here in the temple singing with your people. When will you show up in the midst of us? 
Because being in the temple, attending the service, doesn't guarantee God's face. See, the reality of this song and our life is that we thirst, we long for, and we struggle emotionally and mentally as we try to put the pieces of life together. Look again at verses 3 and 4. We have seasons where we chew on life in tears and the skeptics and even our own heart asks, where is God? Verse 4, again, points us to the corporate longing of our souls. We reflect back with the song and remember the good old days. They sing, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. Loud shouting and songs of praise, a festival. The reality is some of us can look back with the sons of Korah and we can remember celebration, shouts of praise, the multitude being festive and excited about the God of the scriptures, the one who satisfies the thirsty soul. Verse 4, Lakewood, is probably all the license we need to grow in our corporate glad shouting and praise, our core value of relational community. What if, what if these are the good days right now? What if trouble lies ahead this week? What if your vibrancy and your praise today will sustain you in future difficulties? Can I challenge us to consider that your excitement and even your expression and volume today might be the encouragement that someone next to you needs. And it may be what you need in the week ahead. So that's the reality when depression comes. We find ourselves thirsting for God, longing for the corporate celebration and the presence of God. But next, we don't just have the reality, we have the question. And the question is in verse 5. We read it, but I'll read it again. Why? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. And the real question of the psalm and the real question of depression when it comes is the disconnect from our head and our heart. We may know something intellectually, hoping God, but we don't feel it. Why are you cast down? This verse frames the question of our emotional and mental state well. Why am I down? Why do I hurt? Why am I depressed? I know truth. I know about God's salvation. I know I have reason to hope. Verses 6 through 10, I think, offer context to the question and really the disconnect between our head and our hearts. Scholars, they'll debate in verse 6 whether the songwriters were literally out of the land of Israel on some mountain far away from the temple, wishing to be home, or they're simply in the temple at home, but God still seems far off. Well, no matter, they remember the presence of God that they once enjoyed with their spiritual family in the temple. 
They recollect a time when God was real, when God was near, when their soul wasn't cast down. And I love verse 7. It's a, a poetic allusion to the sinking feeling that we can all experience as the waves of the sea break over our head again and again, and we feel like we're drowning, and all we hear is the roar of the waterfall, and it seems hopeless. One writer commented on this verse, These powerful waves have swept over and threatened, threatened to carry him away. Surely, brothers and sisters, we can empathize with that. Days and weeks where it seems to be one thing after another. One bomb drops, and then another, and then another, and then another. But we're, we're complex people, aren't we? It's amazing how in the midst of remembering and longing for God to be near, in the midst of the waves crashing down, we have verse 8, where we can still grasp, even if our grasp is weak. We can still hold on to God's covenant promise, keeping steadfast love for his people. We can still cling to his promise, to songs that remind us of truth, and still pray to the God that we hope will act. But notice in verse 8, who produces the song? Who is it that can suffer depression? and sing of God's goodness and hope that things will be better. Who can do that? It is the one whom God enables. God, in verse 8, God gives the song. His song is with us. If you are here suffering and you wonder how you'll be able to hope in God, or even have a song to sing, or a prayer to ask in anticipation of what he might do, you can't do it. Not humanly speaking, not by trying harder. It's the grace of God that enables us to suffer and to suffer well as we think on the song that he gives and we pray to him. Being a faithful follower of Christ is not a self-help, self-achievement, I-try-harder religion where we force ourselves to sing these cute little songs when we hurt. We are dependent on God to initiate, to move, and to act, and to enable us in the midst of our suffering. But the question of verse 5, the balancing act of what I feel and what I know to be true, it reveals and produces other questions. We may have a song that God gives us in verse 8. We may pray, but it's not enough. We need him and his presence. So we we ask more questions. Verse 9. God, why have you forgotten me? Why have you abandoned me? Why are you not helping me like you said you would? Why do you allow me to suffer? Why do you allow enemies to oppress me? Why is my own heart and mind even my greatest enemy? And it's not just others in verse 10 who say, where is your God? It's me. I'm asking that question, where is my God? The question, when depression comes, can be painful, a painful experience. The feeling of being forgotten or abandoned 
is something many of us have wrestled with in our human relationships. Whether it's the pain of being forgotten by someone you love who has been affected by Alzheimer's, or the friends who forgot to stay in touch with you during the summer months, the pain of loss and abandonment, it stings. We ask a lot of questions. God, where are you? Why is there this disconnect? And sometimes we feel guilty about asking questions. We think asking questions maybe reveals that we don't have faith. Well, let me, let me, let me read this. Um, Paul Tripp uh, on suffering. Paul Tripp's a friend of mine. He just doesn't know it. Uh, this is a helpful book. At street level, the life of faith is always a struggle of trust. In this struggle of trust, you'll be left with questions about what God is doing. If the doubt of wonderment causes you to come to God with sincere questions, asking it is an act of faith. You're not rebelling against him. You're not running from him. You're not demanding answers, but crying out of your confusion for the help that only he can give. The doubt of wonderment is a normal part of a healthy life of faith. God won't always make sense to you. And when he doesn't, bringing your doubts to him is good. In fact, the vast majority of the Psalms were written out of real life struggles of faith. The doubt of wonderment is a normal part of the life of faith. And it's spiritually healthy when it drives you to bring your confusion to the one who has no confusion. So we ask questions when we suffer. And Psalm 42 forces us to realize that these questions are part of being shaped by biblical truth and biblical living. The scriptures and songs like this one give us appropriate categories for what it means to be a faithful follower of Christ. The Christian life is one of deep and raw questions. The Christian life is one that experiences suffering. And the Christian life is one that realizes there is truth. And then there is how I feel as I ask those questions. Which leads us to Not just the reality and the question, but the battle. Verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. The question of verse 5 is repeated and the psalm ends. Like many of our psalms, no conclusion, no victory story, nothing's changed. There's still suffering and doubt, and there's still an array of circumstances and questions. It's like a movie that ends without any closure to the story. We're we're left wanting, we're left dissatisfied, we're left saying, is this really worth it? This is the Christian life. The constant battle between what I know to be true and what I feel in my bones right now. The battle between depression and truth. 
The battle between heart and head. The battle between believing God is real or just someone I hope is real. Whenever we read the scriptures, it's healthy to ask, why is this passage here? Why would God include this text, this verse, this psalm? What did God want to reveal to Israel and what would God want to reveal to me in Christ today? Well, there are two things I'd like to challenge our hearts with this morning as it relates to this battle of verse 11, head and heart. And I hope it will aid us this next week in our attempts to be faithful followers of Christ. And the, the two things I'd point to you in the midst of this battle, the first is this. You're not God. That might be a shock to some of us. Now, we may not say we are God, but we certainly act like it, don't we? Do you have the answers to all of life's questions? Or just even some of life's questions? Do you have the ability to change your heart and the hearts of people around you? Do you fully see, hear, and understand the nuance of the world around you? Do you remain constant, unchanging, and consistent in your character and promises despite the circumstances around you? Can you walk on water? No. Of course not. And if we are not God, why? Why do we put the impossible expectation of deity on our lives and the lives of others? You will doubt. You will suffer. You will ask questions. You will get it wrong. You will need help. You will sink when you step off that boat and get taken by the waves. Being a faithful follower is not marked by having unwavering faith and logical answers to everything all the time. Our heads and our hearts will be disconnected in seasons. And maybe like Psalm 42, we will be depressed. We are called to be desperate and dependent. We are called to trust in Jesus. He is enough. His perfect life, his sacrificial death, his literal resurrection, conquering sin and death, is all the work needed to rescue us today. Cling to him, even if you can't see beyond the waves. You are not God. He is. Number two, in this battle, you're not by yourself. We've considered this already, but it has to be said again. The people of Israel were not asking these questions and dealing with heartache by themselves. They didn't run to self-help books. They didn't try to figure it out in the privacy of their own homes and their own minds. <laughs> and they didn't run to the false illusion of community on social media either. Psalm 42 is given to us, brothers and sisters, because we are a community of faith. 
We seek the presence of God, not simply in individual spaces of our closets and our minds. We seek the face of God as we come to the temple, as we come to the body of Christ. We have it so much better than the sons of Korah and the nation of Israel did. They sought God's face where it was only found in the dimensions of the temple walls. Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 42 and God's people coming to the temple. Jesus himself spoke and said in John 2 that he, in fact, is the new temple. The new place in which the presence and the face of God is experienced. Jesus is the place in which the people of God come together as one. The place where faithful followers of Christ become the temple, the body of Christ. And my friend, again, he has some helpful words as it relates to us being together, being the temple, being a community of faith. Suffering powerfully highlights what has always been true. We were not created for independent living. Suffering exposes our weakness, our blindness, and our lack of control. Suffering preaches that our lives are a community project. Suffering reminds us that God's grace doesn't work to propel our independence, but to deepen our vertical and horizontal relationships and dependence. The strong, independent, self-made person is a delusion. Everyone needs help and assistance. Everyone has learned at the feet of someone else. Everyone is strengthened by others to fight community, to quest for self-sufficiency is not only a denial of your spiritual need, it's a denial of your humanity. Suffering is a messenger telling us that to be human is to be dependent. Look again as we finish at verse 4. These things I remember. In the midst of my battle, in the midst of my depression, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng individually, privately, in my closet. No, no, no. I remember I would go with the people and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Lakewood, Lakewood Church will only be the house of God as we are the people of God who cling to the promises of God and point one another to the character of God. We've been given this psalm. We've been given each other so that we would shout for joy, celebrate, and help one another cling to Christ as we battle in this life of faith. Faithful followers of Christ fight for hope, and we do it together. May God help us. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, asking that you would show yourself to be that new temple. 
that we would recognize who we are in you. Our identity is not determined on our individual names and preferences and decisions. Our identity is that we are the body of Christ. We are brothers and sisters, children of the living God. So when our head and our heart disconnects, when we ask questions of why, when we hurt, when we feel sorrow, would you enable us to point each other to truth? Would we engage one another to hope in God when those questions of life come? Lord, would you truly help us to be a relational community? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.